Hi, this is Sammy Smiles, and I'm your host, Sammy Vance. This podcast is sure to leave you inspired and with a smile. Now let's get right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Sammy Smiles. I'm your host, Sammy Vance, and today I'm super excited to welcome Vlad um, Dutier on my show today. Vladimir is a recipient of the Peabody Award and an Emmy Award um, winner for journalist, and he is a news correspondent for CBS News and was recently featured on the Reading Rainbow Reboot as well. Um, so we were like both featured in the same episode. So Vlad, thank you so much for fitting um, this into your very busy schedule. Hi, Sammy. Thanks for having me. I'm so honored. I'm honored to be interviewing you. So I really enjoyed researching everything that you've done, and I'm super excited for this interview. So you've gotten some, to do some really incredible things over the years you've gotten to um, interview amazing people, you've gotten to travel different places, and it's just like so amazing, everything you're doing. <laughs> so I think that being a journalist is like a really interesting, inspiring job. You get to um, hear about all different news, some inspiring, some maybe a little bit sad, um, but it's just a very wide range. And a few years ago, I started this podcast, Sammy Smiles, and I did it so that I could hear about other people's stories that inspire me in hopes to inspire other people um, and make them smile, hence the name. And... Um, so something that I feel like a journalist gets to do is meet so many incredible people. And that's my favorite part about my Buddy Bench project, being able to meet all different people. Um, and you were actually my 70th guest on my wow. podcast. <laughs> so that's just like really amazing. Um, that is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so for the questions, what inspired you to be a journalist and be on TV? And was it something that you always wanted to do from the beginning? So thank you very much uh, for having me. Uh, it's such an honor to be able to speak with you. I know you've interviewed a lot of incredible people and I'm just really happy to be a part of this very intimate circle of folks that you've had an opportunity to interview. Uh, it really means a lot that you would reach out to me um, and, and wanna talk to me. So thank you for that. Um, and thank you for your question. Uh, yeah, I've always, you know, it's interesting. I always wanted to be a journalist. Um, in fact, when I decided to finally sort of embrace this career path, I sat down and, and wrote down a list of things that I wanted to do when I was a kid, when I was you know, your age or even a little younger. And one of those things, I mean, I, as, as a child, I, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, a police officer, or a teacher. Those were the three things that I, that I thought would be really, really cool. And, um, and journalism always attracted me because of what you just said, right? Which is that you get to meet and interview a wide range of people that are interesting. Everybody that I've ever interviewed, whether they're just a regular person, you know, walking down the street or a president of a country has been a fascinating person for me to sit down and talk with. Um, and, uh, and then you get to travel to interesting places, meet interesting people and interview them and also report back to the rest of the world what you're seeing, what people are living through, what people are experiencing in their daily lives. 
And that's an enormous responsibility that I take very seriously to tell other people's stories, right? Um, and, and that always attracted me. Even when I was a little kid, I would see, remember my parents were big 60 Minutes watchers in my house when I was a child. And I would see people like Ed Bradley uh, or, or you know, Mike Wallace or any of the 60 Minutes correspondents, Leslie Stahl, you know, reporting uh, and interviewing interesting people. I remember Ed Bradley, you know, reporting from Asia and thinking to myself, man, I'd like to do that. Like I would be, I would love to just be in another country talking to people and hearing about their lives. And so, yeah, that was, that, that's always been a dream of mine. Um, it took me a while to get here, but ultimately I did. And there's not a day that I don't get out of bed and think to myself how lucky and blessed I am to be able to do this job. I love that. And I've even thought about maybe wanting to be a journalist at one point or another, because I just I've I've had so many connections with different journalists. And I think what they all do is just so amazing. You get to um, be a part of this, um, that amazing like circle. And it's just like really cool. Yeah, yeah. it really is. It, it, it is. And, and, you know, what you realize is, you know, oftentimes there are a lot of people think that, you know, for journalists that we only enjoy doing the really big interviews, right? Like we get to interview celebrities or we get to interview big time politicians. But but I've often found actually that my most favorite interviews and the, the times that I recall to be the most moving or the, the interviews that I've done with people that have really inspired me in some ways are, are not those celebrities or, or you know, politicians or um you know, uh, musicians, I often find that the most interesting interviews that I do are with just people that I, that I, um, that I meet just through the course of my travels. And, and because everybody has a unique story to tell. And oftentimes with the, with the celebrities or the politicians or the rock stars or movie stars or whatever, like their stories have been told ad nauseum, right? Like there's not, really going to be anything it's rare that you get anything new out of somebody who's extremely famous who's been famous for you know it's like interviewing paul mccartney that would be a dream of mine because paul mccartney is just like i i love the beatles and have been a beatles fan my whole life but paul mccartney's been doing interviews since like the 1960s right and so there's nothing really that i'm going to necessarily bring to the to the table that he hasn't already heard other than my unique personal charm and style, right? Which is, you know, um, he's not going to have ever encountered somebody like me, but, but generally speaking, people are going, people who've been in the public eye for a long time are, 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 are not going to add anything new to the conversation where somebody that you just met or somebody who's not famous or somebody who's, you know, um, famous, but not in a field that maybe a lot of people are aware of in the field of science or in um, the field of technology, you, you know, or art even, you know, a lot of people, I mean, don't know a lot of the great artists that are out there painting and creating today. Those I find to be some of the most interesting interviews. Yeah, I love that. And I think that is really cool because some of people that I've had to interview or that I've gotten the chance to interview, um, it's really cool to hear their stories, even if they're not like really big. Um, they're just, um, doing something impactful for their community. I think that that's really cool to just hear their story. And, and those are some of my favorite as well. So I think it's cool to um, find ground that we can relate on in that level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so like I said, you've gotten to do so many amazing opportunities. One really neat thing that you're able to do was fly with the Blue Angels. Um, my dad has always enjoyed seeing them, and I thought it would be cool, or he thought it would be cool to be a pilot on one of them, but he was too tall. Um, <laughs> so I got scared. I even get scared going on roller coasters, so I could never do that. Um, but, you know, I think it's so cool to know someone who has been a part of that um, and um, so, yeah, what was that experience like? And did you do any like loop-de-loops and stuff? Yeah, I can send you some photos from, from, from that experience. Um, I'd never been in, uh, in a fighter jet before. Um, and I'd always wanted to, you know, I also dreamed as a child and even as an adult of one day being a pilot, being a fighter pilot who doesn't dream about that. Um, uh, and so when I got that opportunity, I was grateful and it was pretty intense. Uh, you know, when we, when you start to roll down the runway, it's just like any other flight, uh, except that, you know, you're in the back seat of this, you know, um, incredibly nimble fighter jet. And you, as you take off, it's like a normal plane taking off. But then the pilot says to me, you know, okay, are you ready? And I said, yes. And then he goes, okay, here we go. And he pulls the stick back. And we go from like this to straight up, like 90 degrees, straight up into the sky. And, um, and uh, it, it, of course, you're like, whoa, I think you see me, you know, I can send you the video. I'm like, oh, man, like, you know, as we go racing up towards the heavens. Um, so, so that was, you know, a complete different experience from any other plan that I'd ever been on. Um, and then, yeah, they take you through, they, they, they give you a good sense of what it's like to fly the, the jet um, and some of the maneuvers that they make. Um, and some of the things that they show you are not just the maneuvers that they do when they're doing the air shows, but they actually show you the types of maneuvers uh, that they would employ in a real life combat situation, which was, which was pretty cool. And what's interesting about the Blue Angels is that they don't fly with what are called G-suits, right? Like when I actually did a story a couple of years later with um, the United States Air Force, in Korea, and I went up in an F-16, there I was wearing a G-suit because we were actually on a real training mission over Korea near the border with North Korea, right? So that was a real life tactical training mission. This was, you know, a pilot showing what they do for an air show. The Blue Angels are part of the Navy. The Navy, they don't wear, those Blue Angel pilots don't wear those G-suits. Um, so you, you have to do a lot of exercises and breathing exercises so that you don't pass out while they're taking you through the maneuvers. Um, and at the very end of the flight, I was very proud of myself because I hadn't passed out, I didn't throw up. Um, and as we were coming in for a landing or coming close to the end of the, of the exercise, he said, I'm gonna try one last thing. And he pulls like a very hard turn and a very high G turn, right? Have high gravitational pull, um, pulling against the body. And for a second, you know, what ends up happening is um, like, if you can imagine, like you have your entire field of vision that just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. till so you're only able to see out of like a pinhole. That's what you're seeing. And at that moment, when you, when the pinhole closes and it goes black is when you pass out. And so I passed out for like a split second. Like you can actually see on the video. I'm like, uh, and I go like, and then I pop up as soon as he relents, as soon as he eases, on the, the stick, you, the blood comes rushing back 
into your brain and you wake up and uh, that's what it feels like to, to pass out. Yeah. In, in a, in a, in a plane. Wow. That's the, like, I would never be able to do that ever. That is like crazy. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was an incredible experience and, and uh, you know, not to put a sad note on it, but um, that pilot, that young pilot who took me up was a captain in, in the Marine Corps. Um, he later, a, a year after he took me up, he, he tragically died while training for a Blue Angels, um, a Blue Angels demonstration, which was, which was incredibly wow. sad. Um, uh, and, but I'll always cherish the memory of him taking me up there and him talking me through these exercises. But that is part of, you know, sadly, that is what uh, these pilots train for. They, 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 they know that every time they go up in, in a plane, that there's a risk. Um, and, 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 that's, and they understand that risk and they embrace it. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's part of being a, a fighter pilot in, in the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, or the Army. Mm-hmm. Well, you, at least you got the opportunity to, like you said, cherish the memories with um, what he got to help you, um, help you with. And I yeah, think, it was an incredible moment. It was an yeah, incredible memory. Great memories. And I think that would be really cool to have a memory like that. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so now let's talk about some people that you've been able to interview throughout the years. You've been able to talk with former presidents such as Bill Clinton, CEOs of companies, royalty, sports stars, and um, stars such as Oprah Winfrey and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Now, I, I, know gonna, you're a, I know you're a big Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to like pause there for a minute. We're going to have to just like, you know, talk about this. So there's so much to talk about. So I don't know where to start. Um, he's the coolest person ever. He's a genius when it comes to music and like the way he he puts music and like it's it's so amazing. And then and then <laughs> Hamilton and the Heights. I don't even know. Like it's just you got to interview him. <laughs> I, 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 like I don't have words for it. You're hyperventilating, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh. Take a breath. <laughs> Um, so I was the same when I was, you know, told by my bosses that I had this opportunity to interview him. The first time I interviewed him, it's actually, uh, you probably can't see it from where you are. It's, I actually have a picture on my wall there. Uh, it was when he was honored uh, with the Kennedy Center Award, honoree. He was a recipient of the Kennedy Center uh, honor. And um, yeah, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda and it's Hamilton and In the Heights. And, you know, like you said, incredibly talented. But, but what I loved about Lin-Manuel is that he's just so humble and so nice. And, you know, sometimes uh, famous people, you know, there are some people who like when they're going to be interviewed, they don't wanna be there. They've got like, or they're tired. You know, they've done a bunch of interviews and you know, you're just another reporter that they have to talk to. And you know, they're gonna answer the same questions over and over and over again. And they may have been sitting in a room for you know, two or three hours where they're doing like a junket on their latest movie or their latest record, right? And so they kind of hurry you up or they kind of give you like sort of one answer, um, you know, one word answers to the questions that you have. But he was so accommodating and so, put, you know, he tried to put me at ease, which was hard because I was like, oh my God, it's a Manuel. But, you know, I'm a professional, so I can like tone it down for the interview. But in my head and in my heart, I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing that I get to interview, you know, this, this incredibly 
talented, creative genius. Um, and he put me at ease. And then after that, once he, once, you know, you feel comfortable, then you're off to the races. And, and he was, you know, he was wonderful. And then I spoke to him again, just uh, maybe three or four months ago, um, when Broadway started to reopen, when, you know, COVID restrictions were being uh, eased on Broadway to allow the shows to come back. And I got to do an interview with him and, and Julie Taymor and Stephen Fortman. And, and that was, you know, same thing. He just was so happy to talk to me and um, was, I was excited so that he got excited, you know, about being able to be back on Broadway. And then I got to go, you know, I got to see Hamilton again the first night that it reopened, um, which was, and he was there and that was cool, you know? Um, so yeah, it was an incredible experience. And that's, you know, like, that's what I love about my job, which is that, you know, I get this opportunity every day to have these amazing conversations with these amazing individuals who, you know, um, you know, it's hard. I mean, I, I always think to myself that these people have such an outsized influence on our lives through their art, right? And through their music and through the, the words that they write, whether it's a, a you know, a composer and, and, you know, creative genius like Lin-Manuel Miranda or, you know, um, all these incredibly talented people. And I'm just a small little cog or a little like part of their entire career that I get to share with our audience. And it's incredibly moving. I, I find myself, you know, like I said, oftentimes on my Instagram, when I interview somebody like Lin-Manuel, I'll post that, you know, this is like reason 3,450 that I love my job. And, you know, um, and it's true. I really am. And I'm lucky to be able to do this. Not everybody can do this. Um, and so I, I, I take that, you know, as I said to you earlier, you know, I take the responsibility of being a journalist very serious, um, very seriously. I take it, you know, as something that is really important um, to people's understanding of the world around us. Um, and then because of that, I have these incredible privileges and honors that I get to be a part of, and it's really cool. I love that, and I think that's amazing. So as you could tell, Lynn Miranda is my dream guest that I number one want on the podcast. Do you have a dream interview? Wow. I, you know, um, a lot of the people that I would have wanted to interview have have passed on, sadly. Like I always wanted to interview Nelson Mandela, um, you know, uh, but but I would say if I had to think about it in terms of like a like an artist, I would say probably Paul McCartney or or Bruce Springsteen are because they're my favorite like musicians, you know. I mm -hmm. would want to interview Paul McCartney, especially. I would really love to have an in-depth you know, conversation uh, with Paul McCartney. Um, and then, you know, uh, beyond like the artists um, or the creative folks, I think it would be also interesting to talk to somebody like the Dalai Lama, I think would be a fascinating interview. Um, so, so those are generally when I think about the people that I would like to interview today, you know, that are my dream gets, you know, Paul McCartney, the Dalai Lama, um, are probably, you know, up there. I, I you know, I, I was going to say President Clinton, but I've interviewed President Clinton. That was kind of an interesting interview just because, you know, President Clinton, love him or hate him, support him or not, like he was such um, a transformational president, you know, um, when he came into office. Um, and uh, because 
he sort of represented when I was coming out of college, he was sort of representative of like the baby boomers and where they were positioned in, in American society and in culture. And, um, and so, 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 so I thought that that was an interesting, that would have been an interesting interview. And, and he turned out to be a very interesting interview. This was, I interviewed him many, many years ago, but um, that was pretty cool too. Yeah. It'd be so cool. And I love um, the job as a journalist and speaking more on journalism and stuff. You are the host for, you've been um, journalist and host for quite a few years, meaning you have to have covered a bunch of different stories um, from good, some good and some bad. So how do you like keep, or how do you deal with balancing like um, how sometimes maybe sad stories can affect you as a person, like on a daily basis and stuff? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think that what I try to do is, I, I feel like with the, the, the older generation of reporters that came before me and journalists that came before me, there was a tendency just because of the way our society is to bottle up the emotions the, um, you know, the pain that you might experience from covering difficult stories because we were not supposed to let those emotions overcome our ability to do our jobs, right? And it's true still today that you don't want what you're witnessing, what you're bearing witness to to ever be the story. In other words, my pain in covering a story that is painful is not the story. The story is of the people who are going through those difficult moments, right? But when I'm done with that assignment or I'm done reporting on those stories, what I've witnessed and what I've heard from the people who are suffering and going through some of these tragic uh, events in their lives stays with me, right? And I try, believe it or not, to tap into that pain from time to time and allow myself to feel and allow myself to cry sometimes even um, over the things that I've seen or the stories that I've heard from people who've been in unfathomable circumstances. And that allows me to remain empathetic to the struggles that people are going through every single day. It allows me not to be sympathetic. I don't wanna sort of be, people don't want your pity or their sympathy when they're going through difficult things, but it allows me to put myself in, in their shoes, even if it's just for a moment while I'm listening to them or while I'm hearing what they're going through. So that's how I, that's how I do it. And, and, and by talking about it, like even talking with you about it, just, just this moment that you and I are sharing where you're asking me about it is taking me through some of those moments in my life that I've interviewed or I've done stories that have been especially painful. And I, I keep a lot of, you see, I have a lot of pictures in my office here. I have a lot of photos from some of those stories, both good and bad, that I keep there um, in the wall that's over here. And then behind me are some of the, you know, reporters and journalists who I've admired through the years, who've also had, had to cover difficult and important, you know, subjects. And it reminds me that, you know, that they were able to do it. And so I'm able to do it. It's sort of a reminder that I'm a part of this legacy of journalists who um, I'm struggling every day to uphold, right? And 
but I, I, I try never to bottle up or suppress the emotions that I have in covering the difficult stories. So that if I'm, you know, confronted with something that's especially painful, I'll do my job and I'll do the interview or I'll do the story. But then I'll, when I go back to my room or when I leave or when I go home or whatever, if, if it's something that's enough to make me cry, then I'll, then I'll cry or I'll have a chat with somebody about it, about what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, you know? Um, and, and that's how I stay empathetic because I think that the most important characteristic or quality that a journalist, if you ever decide that you want to be a journalist and, you know, you'd make an incredible journalist because, because you're curious. And that's the first thing that, you know, I, I think is the most important attribute a journalist has to have. But the second thing is empathy. You have to be able to always put yourself in the other person's shoes. May not mean that you agree with them necessarily, or, but that you can see the world through their eyes, even just for a moment. And if you're able to do that, um, then that empathy comes through in your reporting, in the stories that you tell to the audience. The audience will see through your reporting what that person, that subject is seeing and experiencing. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. That does make sense. And I think that is really important for everyone else to know as well. And I think that's like, Everything you just said was really amazing. I think that's a really good outlook on everything. And um, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. Thanks for asking the question. It's a, it's a question that, you know, is, is um, always hard to answer because, you, you, you know, there's a lot of people who think that journalists sometimes you come into a situation, you, you know, you roll the cameras, you do the interview, and then you leave, and then you go and you do your other thing. And I think the reality is that for many journalists, especially those who cover wars, like for example, what's happening in Ukraine right now, that, you know, it's like, um, the way I describe it sometimes is like going to the beach. And, you know, when you leave the beach, there's still sand all over you, you know? Um, and those little grains of sand, they stick to you, they stay with you, you know? Um, and, and that's kind of like what this is, you know? You, you are in situations, every story I've ever done, every person I've ever interviewed um, sticks with me. And over time, you know, you do need to like, you know, get in touch with your inner self to ensure that, because if you bottle up this stuff, it can be detrimental, you know, um, to, your relationships with the people that you love, with your colleagues, you know, and you have to allow, you, you have to ensure that that doesn't happen. And the way that you, I think, the way that you ensure that that doesn't happen is to, you know, reflect often over the things that you've covered, the people that you've met, um, to ensure that you remember those people, um, to, you know, remember the ones that, you know, for example, people that tragically pass away or die in tragic circumstances, you remember them and you honor their memories by remembering them, right? Because you know that they lived, they existed, and you were there to share that person's story. And then to share the stories of triumph of those who, you know, survive difficult situations, um, share those stories too. Um, and, and the people who exhibit incredible grace under pressure, you want to remember that and you want to tell people about them. 
You want to say, hey, Sammy, I interviewed, you know, I'm looking at a picture here of a young man I interviewed whose family was, you know, killed by terrorists um, in, in West Africa. He survived and, you know, but he lost his family, but he was there to tell the story of his father and who his father was. And then I took his story and told, you know, our audience about his father and about this young man's struggles. And through that, now his father is known by millions and millions and millions of people who heard his story. And, and that's the power of journalism. And for me, I remember him and I remember his story and I remember his father's story and I keep that with me always. I love that. And I think that's just, like I said, really amazing. And um, again, thank you so much for sharing about that. So on a little bit of a different note, we were both recently, um, we both recently had the opportunity of being special guests on the very first episode of Re Reading Rainbow Reboot. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was so honored to be asked to be a part of it and be able to talk about my book and my kindness mission. And it was really amazing. Um, I remember watching a few episodes in second grade of Reading Rainbow, <laughs> the original, and my mom has told me that she watched it when she was younger. Um, so to me reading is really important and I love reading I'm a big reader um so I think it's really important to like for the new generation and like all generations reading is just really important in everyone's life whether they know it or not um so for you what was it like to be a part of reading rainbow and what kind of books do you like to read well like you I was incredibly you know flabbergasted and flattered that Reading Rainbow wanted me to be a part of their premiere episode because like you, I love to read. It was for me uh, as a child and now as an adult, the one thing that I could always rely on that when I picked up a book, I would find myself in a fascinating place reading about fascinating people, fantastical worlds. Um, it just was food for my soul. It still is, right? I love, love, love to read. And um, I was the kind of kid that like, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. Like I was kind of a nerdy kid. I was, you know, very introverted. Um, and and yet when I was reading a book, I could lose myself for hours. Like my mom would, you know, I'd come home from school, finish my homework and pick up a book. And like, it'd be six hours later. And my mom would be like, it's time for bed or it's time for dinner. Or like put that book away, you know? Um, and I'm still like that now, you know, when there's a book that I really, really love, I can lose myself in it. Um, and, and that's the power of books. I've always felt that. Um, so that was very cool that reading rainbow um, asked me and asked you to be a part of, of, of their first episode. Um, and what kind of books, you know, as a kid, I was really into biographies. I loved reading about, which is kind of cool that now I get to be a journalist because I get to interview these people that, you know, are, you know, change makers or, you know, that, that have a, um, an impact on our history and our world. Uh, so I love reading biographies. And I remember when I was maybe, uh, I don't know, like seven or eight years old, I got for Christmas, um, I got a little uh, compendium of biographies of like some famous Americans, you know, and I still remember that it was a, it was a little box set of a biography of Eleanor Roosevelt, Louis Armstrong, John F. Kennedy, um, Amelia Earhart, uh, Benjamin Franklin, 
and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And I loved it. I, I absolutely like loved it. And that set me on a kick on, on reading biographies, um, which I still do. I still love reading really interesting biographies of really interesting people. The other thing that I really loved reading about as a kid were, were the Greek myths. I had this huge fascination with Greek mythology. And in fact, I, I wonder, I am, um, there was one book in particular that my dad bought me when I was a kid uh, that I still have. And I probably like, it, it just set me on the path for, for Greek mythology. Just all those stories, how they related to the, the real world and, and the, the, the natural world, um, I, I love. And so I still love reading about like, um, you know, like mythology, um, that's still a, a fascinating subject for me. So, so, so those are the types of books. And then like, I also read the classics. I loved reading, you know, Tom Sawyer and, um, you know, The Great Gatsby uh, was a great, was a book that I enjoyed reading, you know, um, you know, J.D. Salinger, The Catcher in the Rye, like just all the classics that everybody loved. I, I also, you know, was a huge, huge fan of, of those books. But I would say now as an adult, I probably read, I probably read still more nonfiction books than I do fiction books, uh, although I do read a couple. Um, and, uh, and or, or I read books about like music or film. Like I read an interesting book recently about the making of The Godfather, um, which I thought was really cool because I love movies too. And, and, and so, um, so, I, I, so I, I do like reading a lot of like non-fiction uh, books. And I guess when it came, when it comes to fiction, I, let's see, I like in fiction. Um, it depends. I, I, you know, now as an adult, I, I will read fiction books that people recommend. Mm -hmm. So if it's Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, for example, that's a recent book, uh, fiction book that I read because somebody recommended it to me. I will, I will read a book that's been recommended to me, but generally I seek out nonfiction books and usually accept recommendations for fictional books, if that makes sense. Yeah. I love sci-fi books. I like, I love it. Yeah. So like Hunger Games, Divergent, Maze Runner, things like that. Um, I'm so into them and I will read them all the time. I love them so much. Um, I read Hunger Games. I liked Hunger yeah. Games. I read Ready Player One. Did you read that? I've heard of it, but I have never um, read it. That's a cool book. I think you would enjoy. Um, I, what about Harry Potter? I honestly could not get into Harry Potter. I didn't really <laughs> You're like probably it. one of the only that's really funny. Yeah, I know. Like people are like, oh, you would love Harry Potter. I'm like, mm, I've tried it. Not really. So you, you know, it's funny, Sammy. I um, When I was a kid, everybody was reading the Tolkien books and um, C.S. Lewis, like the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. And I just could not get into, I, I struggle also to get into fantasy novels. Yeah. Like I, that, that's why, like, I didn't read the Harry Potter books, although I, I, um, did read the first one eventually because my wife told me I should read it and, and I liked it, but, but, you know, I, I wasn't passionate about those books the way that I was like, as a kid, I read all the Judy Bloom. I don't know if you like, if Judy Bloom is still a, I've a, heard a, of a Judy Bloom or Beverly Cleary. I read a lot of Beverly Cleary books. Um, I read, um, there was a great series of books and if you should look them up, they were called, it was a series by a guy named um, John D. Fitzgerald. I hope I'm getting this right. John D. Fitzgerald. And he wrote a series of books called 
the Great Brain series. It was about his older brother, Tom, who was like the brainiest kid in their town, right? And it was set in the 1890s in, in Utah, of all places. But it was about how his brother had this great brain and he had a little brain and everybody else in town had a little brain. And it was about like his brother coming up with these really incredible like schemes. And it was very, the reason why I think you'd be into it is because there was nothing fantasy about it. There was nothing fantastical about it. It was just a group of kids living at the turn of the century in America and the adventures that they would get into based off of the schemes of his older brother who was incredibly gifted, almost like a genius. And I just devoured those books. They made them into movies even when I was a kid. There was probably seven or eight of them that came out. I read every, every single one. They were really, really great. But I could not get into like Narnia or, you know, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, all that stuff. I was just sort of like not into it. Even though I love Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, I read the Star Wars books. But when it came to the other like stuff, I just just didn't like it. So we have that in common. Right. Yeah, I agree. That's yeah, more comments and stuff in common. I'll definitely have to look up the book series. Yeah, um, it's pretty good. I mean, it, you know, it's it's probably dated, but but you know, they've probably be, been um, reprinted and and you know, they're they're great. Um, and and finally, I, I will say, you know, with on the subject of books, like, you know, if I had to pick my all-time favorite book, it's probably To Kill a Mockingbird. Have you ever read that? I've heard of it again, but I've never read it. It's probably, you know, you're probably just at the age where it's probably going to be appropriate for you to, to read it. It's not really a, a I, I, I mean, everybody can decide, but, you know, I think I read it when I was about your age, the first time I read it. Um, and there's another great book, which is uh, Man's Search for Meaning, which was written by a guy named Viktor Frankl, who um, was a Holocaust survivor. And he uh, wrote about his experiences in, in Auschwitz, um, and how he survived it. And it's really, there's some really interesting takeaways from his experiences. Um, and I would say that those are two of my favorite books of all time. Really, really powerful books. I love that. Yeah. Um, what about um, you? So wait, I have to ask, I'm a reporter. Yeah. What is your favorite book? My favorite book. That's so hard. I love like, you know, okay. So I'm just going to name. Just name a few. Yeah. I'll just I'll name a few. All the ones in Hunger Games series, Divergent series, Maze Runner series, The Lunar Chronicles. Um, so that's like probably. That's like uh, a dozen books already. That, that's more than a dozen books already. Yeah, yeah but yeah. <laughs> but those are my all-time favorite series. Um, I like the Hunger Games a lot. I really, I thought mm-hmm. that was really, those were really well done. Yeah, I read those so quickly when I got into them. It was like, then. What yeah. do you think attracted you to those books? I don't know. I, I think it's like you said, it wasn't fantasy. It's not like just fantasy, like magical, everything. It's about this girl who is struggling and struggling to survive quite literally. Um, But it can also be used in like a metaphorical way. So it's a really good lesson. And the way that they're just like, I don't know. I just, I, I just love them, yeah. Do you relate to Katniss? I feel like I can relate to Katniss in um, some ways. And I think being able to relate to the character is something really big as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's to me, that's the coolest thing about books, right? Which is that, you know, when you pick it up and you start to read the adventures of the person that you're reading about, whether it's like I said, whether it's a biography, like I remember as a kid, you know, reading um, when I first read a biography of President Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, you know, I like tried to model myself after President Kennedy. And, you know, like as, as a young man, when he was a young man, right? Like the things that he did, like, you know, like for example, I read that, you know, he used to, he was a bad speller, but that his father had him like look through the dictionary and, and underline words in the dictionary. So I started doing that, right? Like you, you end up like picking up like interesting ways to live life through some of the characters and books, whether they're fictional or non-fictional. So whether it's a, you know, a, a former president, um, as a young man, or, you know, um, Atticus Finch, who's the, you know, one of the main characters in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, you know, you, the things that he does, you start to try to do that because you know, deep down in your heart that that's a good way to be, you know? Um, and I, and I, that's what I love about books. I, I, I love this notion that you can be introduced to someone who's real or not and become a better person in a way by reading that book. You know, every book that you read, every character that you're introduced to, fictional or non-fictional, hopefully, hopefully goes to making you, me, a better person. Yeah, I can relate to that on so many different levels, and I love that so much. Um, but yeah, so do you have anything else you want to share before we get into the rapid fire round? Oh, rapid fire. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 you know, like this is this is so much fun. I, I, I am very happy to be able to talk to you about this. I love um, coming into contact with fellow bookworms because, you know, it's interesting too, like, um, it's like I said, when I was a kid, like I wasn't very sporty, like, you know, like I wasn't a good football player or couldn't throw a baseball, you know, um, I just sucked at all sports, you know, but, 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 but I love to read. And like, that was kind of like when I was a kid growing up, it was sort of, you were seen like as a nerd, a bookworm, like, you know, and now like, it feels like it's okay to be nerdy. It's okay to be a bookworm. You know, no one's going to shame you for that because you, I, I believe honestly that if it were not, I think for me that my love of books directly led to me being a journalist, which ultimately led to me and you sharing this moment together, right? If I wasn't a bookworm, you and I wouldn't be here talking to each other. Right. I think that we definitely have to set up a complete separate Zoom meeting to talk about books and all books. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think that is so cool. And the connections that it's all, um, the the chain reaction that everything is. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I'm ready for your rapid fire. Okay, so I'll just ask you a few questions and you can answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, okay, all right, here we go. Uh, What's your favorite color? Blue. Favorite food? (laughs) Um, French fries. (laughs) Favorite vacation spot? France. Um, I know that you know a bunch of different languages. What's your favorite one? French. Uh, favorite animal? Tigers. If you, Ti- could- uh, you know, I, I know you said to answer the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> um, it, it's actually vacillates. It's actually, I, I love tigers and I love sharks. Those are my, yeah. so like tigers and sharks. Yeah. Okay. I see you. <laughs> um, if you could have lunch with anyone in the world, who would it be? 
Paul McCartney. Uh, what's your favorite quote? It's a good one because I have a, I, 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 it's interesting that you asked that question, Sammy, because I, I often reflect on the sayings of people that have had a profound impact on the way we, we live our lives. Um, so I will read you my favorite quote, if that's okay. Yeah. This is, this is a quote that's been attributed to Henry David Thoreau. If a, man does, if a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or far away. I love that. Yeah, that, that is one of the quotes that I've always really, really loved. I also love an, another quote that's been attributed to Confucius, um, which says, uh, the journey of a thousand miles the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I love that. I think that the, both of those are so amazing. I think I love it. Yeah. I'm going to have to like write those down and keep them. Yes. I'll send them to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I love those. Uh, so okay. yeah. <laughs> Would you rather be able to speak to animals or speak all languages? <laughs> That's a great one. Wow, what a great question. Um, hmm. um, speak to all animals or to speak all languages, right? Yeah. All animals. That I say, I mean, how incredible would it be to talk to a shark or talk to a tiger, or talk to a snail, you know, and find out what yeah, that, that would be, I've never, Sammy, I've never thought about that. What a great question. <laughs> Thank you. And, I, and I'm actually surprising myself with my answer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What did you say when you asked yourself that question? I, I would say, I would probably say languages so I could communicate with more people, but like being able to speak to animals would be such a cool opportunity that you do not get every day. So I think that- I mean, let's put it this way, Sammy. You could right now between, you know, now and the time you get to college, learn at least six languages, right? Yeah. I mean, it'd be hard, but you could do it. But being able to speak to animals, you'd be the only one, I'd be the only one that could do that. Got yeah. It's like a superpower. Right, <laughs> it, it would be a superpower, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really good way to look at it too. Yeah. Um, so would you rather get into a good movie or a good book? I'd say a good book. Mm -hmm. um, so that's it for rapid fire round. Nice. Um, yeah. Those so, are great questions. Those are really great questions. Thank you. So wait, let me ask you a couple then. So what's your favorite food? Favorite food, pizza, cheese pizza. Uh, I, that's my second. That's my second. Mm -hmm. um, what's your favorite color? Uh, teal and aqua. Okay. What is uh, your favorite animal? Ducks. I love ducks. I have a weird obsession with ducks. But yes. Why? I have no idea. But That's great. Yeah. That's great. So do you know, have you read books about ducks? Are you, that's the thing about, one of the things that I love about books is um, Long before the internet, where people were just Googling things, like the, my, my mom used to always say, if I wanted to know something about anything, go to the library and get a book. So, and when I was really into a particular subject, I would go out and either if I was, you know, younger and I was going to the library, I'd check out like seven books 
on the one thing that I was interested in, right? And read every single book. Or if I remember like when I was growing up, I was really into Elvis Presley. So I went out and bought like 10 Elvis biographies and read every single one of them, right? So there's like nothing you can ever ask me about Elvis that I don't know, right? Um, I don't know if you're the same way. Like if you like, because of your weird obsession with ducks that you've read like 10 books about ducks. I actually have not. I need to. I really need you, to. I mean, I, come on. Right. I like, yeah, I really need to. <laughs> because, you know, like I remember a couple of years ago, I got into pigeons. For, don't ask me why. I was like, pigeons are really cool. They're really remarkable. It's probably because my wife like doesn't like pigeons and she's like, they're dirty. They're annoying. You know, I'm like, I think pigeons are incredibly cool. Like they were used like during the wars to like ferry messages, you know? And so all of a sudden I found myself on a pigeon kick and went out and bought like three books on pigeons. <laughs> so I, I await to hear about, you know, your excursion into the duck world of literature. Yes. Yes. I will. I will send you, I will send you titles of the duck books that I will get in the future. And if somebody hasn't written any books on ducks and you should. Uh, yes, I should. Yes. <laughs> Great idea. Um, so where can people find you on social media to follow your amazing journey? Can follow you, you can follow me on Instagram at Vlad Dutier, uh, CBS. And that's the same as my Instagram, uh, as my Twitter handle at Vlad Dutier CBS. I do have a public Facebook page. I'm not that often on Facebook. Um, you know, because I, I don't know, I'm just not on Facebook that much. I'm on Instagram and Twitter quite often. Um, I'm on LinkedIn too, but not really that much. I probably check LinkedIn like three times a year. I probably check my Facebook even less, but, but I'm there. Um, but if you, you know, people follow me on Instagram and, and Twitter, um, I'm very active generally there. Make sure to follow Vlad and his amazing journey. And for the last question to ask all my guests, what is something that makes you smile? Um, when I get to interact with people like you, that makes me smile. As you can see throughout this entire interview, I've been doing a lot of smiling. Um, there's nothing you know, that makes me smile more than interacting with somebody who's interesting, who's funny, who's smart, who has a lot of important things to say. Um, it makes my day. And, uh, in, in, you know, I, I'm, I never get tired of that. I never get tired of interacting with people because at the end of the day, all the emotions that we can encounter in our lives are a result of our interactions with, you know, our fellow human beings. And so every time I get to do that, um, it brings a smile to my face. So thank you for that. I love that. Thank you. I think that makes me smile as well. Um, so thank you so much for being on this podcast. I've learned so much. This has been amazing. Made me smile the whole time. Um, <laughs> and I think it's cool to interview an interviewer. And, um, you know, I just, I, I love this. This is so amazing. So thank you so much for being on here. Um, thank you everyone for listening. And I hope this made you smile as it did me again. Um, but remember that you don't just have to be an adult to make a difference. You could be a kid too. I hope you have a great day. Bye.